can I thank you for, for being that church? You guys, uh, you guys have uh, encouraged me these last four weeks. I just want to say that. Uh, thank you for being a church that reaches out and says, hey, Pastor Rich, what can we do when you see some things go down in our world and stuff like that? What I can tell you is uh, the first thing I really want to encourage you to do, which is so antithetical to who I am, I need you to go on Facebook. And if you would just like the church's Facebook page or follow the church's Facebook page, right now that's a, the, the quickest, easiest conduit of information, unless you want to check your email every single day or, or all that kind of different jazz. But there's going to be some opportunities that come up. We're going to talk about this a little bit at the end of the, the message. But uh, I just want to encourage you to take advantage of any information that comes your way. Uh, we're going to share probably about some ways that you can give specifically to issues and efforts in Ukraine. The Church of the Nazarene, which we're part of, uh, has actually quite a presence in Ukraine and in Russia. And so you can imagine some of the tensions and the balance that they're trying to flesh out right now. And actually yesterday on the Today Show, the district superintendent of the, the district that is the Ukraine uh, for the Church of the Nazarene was interviewed with his spouse and uh, just sharing about some of the needs that they have and different things like that. So. Uh, the biggest thing that we can do right now is pray, is pray. And uh, we sang about it. We believe it. We believe God does answer prayers. He hears our prayers. He knows the burdens of our heart. And I just want to thank you. We've shown that video now for a few times. And uh, thank you for being that church that does that. I, I truly appreciate it. It's a blessing to my heart. All right. We're at the end of a series. And... Uh, as we kind of kick this off, I want to talk to you about Mr. Bell. Mr. Bell, Mr. Bell was my seventh grade science teacher. And seventh grade science was kind of one of those marked moments in my life where I thought, wow, this is science. I mean, we just dissected a fetal pig. Awesome, right? Okay, we dissected a fetal pig in seventh grade science. Uh, we went on field trips. We did, Mr. Bell was amazing. One of the coolest things he did, but probably one of not maybe the smartest things he ever did, he had a bowl of mercury. Yeah, mercury. And he would dump it on a table, a big, huge table, and he would let us push it around with paper and stuff. Yeah, I know. You were wondering what was wrong. <laughs> That's what's wrong. Uh, but in seventh grade science, you learn all kinds of cool new stuff. You've graduated from you know, little kid science. Now you get to like mess with stuff like mercury. But uh, you learn about litmus paper. So litmus paper is one of those things. Everybody know what litmus paper is? It's a strip of paper. It's treated with some kind of chemical. I don't know what it is. Uh, but you dip it in a liquid. And when you pull it out, it changes colors to tell you the presence or absence of something, a base or an acid, different, different things like that. That's what litmus paper does. If you spend any time reading the words of Jesus in the Gospels, you can't get away from the fact that the greatest indicator, the biggest litmus test for the work of Jesus in somebody's life is love. That's the greatest indicator. That God is on the scene. It's the greatest indicator that the Holy Spirit is at work. It's the greatest indicator that somebody has had a truly transformational uh, experience with Jesus is the presence of love, the presence of love. Now, unfortunately, the need for us to do a series that we're wrapping up today like this is because many times love is lacking 
is lacking as the evidence of the work of Jesus in people's lives. Uh, it happens in my life, still, to this day. There are moments where there's an absence of love present in certain situations. And in a divided world like the one that we live in right now, a lot of times, and I think you would agree, we tend to find and even gravitate towards people we find more commonality with when it comes to the things that we don't like. Maybe even the things that we hate, not necessarily the things that we love. So we've looked at a lot in this series, haven't we? We've looked at uh, immigration, we've looked at politics, we've looked at race. Last week we looked at human sexuality. And we looked at them not just to look at those issues, right? We looked at those to really address how we look at those things, how we speak about those things to other people in our lives so that we don't add to the division that's already present in the world when it comes to issues like those, right? I think we would all agree there's a lot of division in our world, not just those four things, there's a whole slew of things. We could make up things and people would pick sides on it. I mean, it's just, that's just how our world operates right now. It's the pattern of this world. You and I are challenged, though, to be one, as Jesus and the Father are one. And Jesus prays for us in John 17 that we would be one as he and the Father are one so that the world would know, so that the world would like, have some indication and, and understanding that God sent Jesus Christ for us. So this idea of unity, this idea of a lack of division, not a lack of difference, not a lack of you know, difference of opinion or, or anything like that, but this idea that we are bound together by something that's so much stronger than the things that would push us apart. We are one in Christ. To remind ourselves that in all of this, whatever issue you want to put your finger on, we're talking about people, right? We're talking about people who are created in the image of God. God has placed a holy value on us, which is incredible when you start to think about it. So in the end, I think what it comes down to is actually something that Jesus mentions in the Sermon of the Mount and, and on the Mount. And next week, we're going to begin Lent. I'll talk to you about that here in a bit. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, there are a lot of recognizable phrases in the Sermon on the Mount that are even picked up just in culture today. Turn the other cheek. We hear that. Love your enemies. Go the second mile. All those kinds of different statements. They impact us. Those statements are profound. As simple as they are, they're profound because the temptation to act the opposite is always there. It's always there not to turn the other cheek. It's always there not to go the second mile. Uh, so, so the temptation to go the other direction is always there. Um, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this really interesting statement. And admittedly, I struggle with this statement. I do. And it's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. He says this, after he says all this different stuff, he says, now I want you to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How does that work, right? We're supposed to be perfect? How? How, I mean, I'm not all that in a bag of chips, all right? I mean, how is Rich Doring supposed to be perfect? What is, what is Jesus getting at? We're going to look at this a little bit more in depth in the weeks ahead, but what he's really getting at there is he's talking about loving with perfect intent. Loving with perfect intent. Perfect love. In other words, you and I are called to love the way Jesus does. That doesn't make it any easier, does it? But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
That's a big love, isn't it? That's a big love. It's the kind of love that is the litmus result of the litmus test as to whether or not Jesus has kind of saturated your posture towards other people. And, and to close this series, what I want to do is I want to look at an example from Scripture and point then for us to go where we're going next. Uh, and I'm going to read this passage for you, and I need you to understand something. Uh, it, it's a hard passage to understand if you don't understand the context of what happens before it. So we're going to read the passage, and then we're going to kind of go backwards. I'm going to explain a few things. Then we're going to jump back into the passage, but it's Acts chapter 10. You're going to see it on the screen. Acts chapter 10, and this is an issue of division that we're going to see today. There's a, there's a situation where you have one of the disciples of Jesus who has an encounter, and the very things that we've kind of talked about over these last four weeks are coming into play, these divisions that we have between people. And this is how God works this out in this issue of perfect love. So starting in verse 23, since the next day Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside. That's a big deal. He went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew, Peter's a Jew, to associate with or visit a Gentile, a house full of them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. In verse 43, all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Um, the events of this last week, um, 
have reminded me, and I think they've probably reminded all of us, that the walls that divide us, even when the walls that divide us give the appearance of having come down, sometimes haven't come down. People still nurture some of that foundation of that wall and stoke those flames. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, the Berlin Wall fell, 1989, November. And uh, it was construction, it was actually constructed in Berlin by the East Germans in 1961. And it was, it was constructed really because there was still some Soviet influence there. And uh, so the East Berliners, they, they constructed that wall in Berlin to keep Western Germans and, and West Berliners, but more specifically, the influence of the West in general out of their area. So it was this literal physical dividing wall that was there. And uh, then in November of 1989, East Germany opened travel. In East Berlin opened travel into West Berlin. And all of a sudden were the pictures that maybe you've seen. And uh, there's actually a big chunk of the Berlin Wall in Milwaukee near where we used to live that we could see. And, and these pictures of people climbing over walls and embracing. People who literally were relatives on both sides of this wall embracing for the first time in decades. And this just, mo just incredible, incredible moment. I want you to listen to a quote from somebody who was there. They said, when the wall came down, I realized what my parents had always told me, that those people on the other side of the wall are human beings. Human beings. Even though the apostle Peter had more access to Jesus than probably anybody else. Maybe John, maybe the disciple John, but, but Peter was so close to, physically close to Jesus. There were times when the litmus test still revealed that there were walls, that there was a lack of love in his life. He still nurtured division. Walls in his life that needed to come down. There was maybe still that tendency in Peter, even though we're talking about a man who knew Jesus. <laughs> we're talking about a man whose life was transformed. He'd been forgiven by Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection, after all of this. I mean, there's just this amazing pattern of life that, that Jesus and Peter had together on top of the fact that Jesus was filled with the Spirit, preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people turned their lives to Jesus. I mean, this is Peter, but even Peter still still, even under the influence of the Holy Spirit, had issues and had walls of division that kept trying to pop back uh, barriers in Peter's life that kept him from expressing, listen closely, that kept him from expressing perfect love to the people that were around him, people who might be different than him. So as we look at this interaction really quickly, between these two men, what I want to ask us to do is maybe take some inventory. Is it possible that in each of our hearts there are barriers or walls that still need to come down? We've talked about a lot, okay, these last four weeks. There's no way for me to talk about anything and everything that can cause barriers in people's hearts, okay? So this is, this is your assignment. I can't tell you what this is. Is it possible that there might be a wall of division still in your heart somewhere. Walls that prohibit us from loving the way Jesus calls us to love. So first, this isn't just as simple, really, as saying, you know, Pastor Rich, 
we know we're supposed to treat people right. We're not supposed to be racist. We're not supposed to be judgmental. You know, all that kind of different stuff. I get that. That's not what this passage is about. It's not. The Holy Spirit. If it were an issue of you need to be less racist, you need to be less, you know, homophobic, whatever. I mean, whatever thing you want to say you need to be less of, you can kind of do some of that in your own strength. But loving the way Jesus does is different. Loving the way Jesus does comes from something else. It is, I'm going to tell you right now, it is not in you. It is not in me to love the way Jesus calls us to love. It requires something else. The Holy Spirit had been at work in what I just read, like all over this thing, all over this thing, directing this Roman captain to send for Peter to come to his home. So by the time you get to Acts chapter 10, Peter's, man, he's been through a lot. He gave up fishing. He gave up his career fishing. Uh, now he's traveled with Jesus for three years. There were some problems. You know, there's the death and the resurrection, and then Peter denied Jesus, and then Jesus restored him. And, you know, there was that whole emotional roller coaster that Peter went through. And then immediately, you know, the, it, the world breaks open. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, preaches to thousands and thousands and thousands of people, which, if you read anything about Peter, is a total 100% risk. So he stands up and preaches to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. All of a sudden, this amazing thing happens where you've got all these people from different, different nations who don't understand a word Peter's saying, but yet they're hearing it in their own native language. And I mean, it's just an absolute amazing movement of the Spirit, okay? And thousands of people turn to Jesus. So he's been through, now he's been in prison, okay? At this point, he's, he's being persecuted for his faith. He's been a part of the scattered disciples. I mean, it's just, he needed a vacation, he needed, like, to chill just a little bit. So he's got a buddy. He's got a buddy that has a fishing shack on the Mediterranean. And so he shows up on the Mediterranean. His buddy Simon is going to put him up for a bit. And so Peter, he's finally he's like, all right, man, we've been through a lot. I need some R&R, &R, okay? So he climbs up on the veranda. He's catching some rays. He's kind of zoning in and out. He's having a good time. And then the next thing you know, his buddy Simon's down below and cooking the catch of the day, and those smells begin to waft up. And I'm like, oh, yeah. It's good to be Peter, man. It's good. And then all of a sudden, he gets a vision. Boom. God shows up on the scene, and this vision begins to play out. Now, the first thing that you need to understand when it comes to this vision is this is the Holy Spirit messing with Peter. He's just totally messing with Peter. Uh, it's, it's actually a vision that's designed to disgust him. To disgust him. Uh, we're going to get to that in a minute, but, but here's Peter. He's seeing this vision, and what, what, what he sees is he sees a sheet that kind of unrolls out of the sky. And on this sheet are all these animals to eat. All these animals. And so... The Lord commands him in that moment, seeing all of these different animals on this sheet, hey man, it's time for a barbecue. So you need to pick a couple of these and let's, 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 get, to the, let's get to work, man. Let's, let's eat. Let's eat. I would like a vision like that. I'm just telling you. I mean, if I get to pick and choose the visions that I get, barbecues, okay. They'd be like top on the list. That's the vision. And at that point, Peter says something that is so Peter. Nope. Peter says, no, no deal. 
The Greek translation of Peter's response was literally this. No, not at all, I will not. No, not at all, I will not. When Jesus spoke of his own suffering back before, Peter said, no, nope, it'll never happen. I won't let that happen to you. When Jesus started to wash Peter's feet the night that he was betrayed, nope, you'll never wash my feet. I, you're, you're not allowed. His default answer was no. Do you know the man? No, I don't know the man. Three times he denied knowing Jesus. His answer was always no. This time was no different. There were some animals on this sheet, this vision that God had given him that were considered unclean. They were nope. They were no animals when it came to Peter. Then God comes right back with this. Don't call unclean what I've called clean. Now, listen carefully. That exchange happened two more times. Three times, God said, hey, I'm inviting you to a barbecue. And Peter three times said, no, no. Now, why is that a big deal? I don't, we just literally just don't have time to get into all of this. But um, for millennia, God had declared that the Jewish people were his chosen people. He was going to express himself through these people to the rest of the world that the world might know him. And he chose the Jewish people to do that, okay? And particularly when you go back to the Old Testament, you look through all of these ways that God really tried to set them apart and, and allow them to be, participate in certain things that would identify them. A lot of those rituals and things like that had to do with food, what food they ate, how the food was prepared, who prepared the food. Some of those were other different rituals and, and different stuff like that. Um, but uh, all those were, some of those were centered around food. Uh, certain foods, again, prepared in certain ways. And what would happen is if they would venture away from that, they were considered to be participating in something that was unclean. Um, and therefore, they failed then to identify themselves as God's chosen to the world around them. So ritualistically, hear me here, ritualistically, they followed rules to keep themselves pure. Can you imagine what happened next when, when you get a set of rules like that and when you give those rules to people to be caretakers of those rules, to dispense those rules to others, pretty soon you begin to see how nice and convenient it is to be the bearer of those rules and create an us versus them socially, economically, religiously. So all of a sudden then, more rules were added by the rule caretakers. Rules that God never handed down. And all of a sudden it comes into this whole us versus them moment. Us versus them. Who's clean and who is unclean? And us versus them. And no one was more unclean to the Jews than a Gentile. A Gentile. Gentiles were considered outside of God's redemption, essentially. Long story short, the Jews had declared an entire people group off limits to the grace of God. So what we have in Acts chapter 10 is the Holy Spirit messing with Peter. The Holy Spirit was causing Peter to consider, you know, Peter, maybe, maybe you don't really have my heart when it comes to this group of people. Maybe you don't have my heart. Barriers were there where God never intended there to be barriers. So if the Holy Spirit gave you that vision today, 
what would be on the sheet? I want to give you a clue. The Jews were not very quiet people. They were not particularly shy about their thoughts on the Gentiles. They viewed them as less than fully human. They were a detriment to the Jewish systems, the Jewish way of life, and so they were vilified. Gentiles were vilified. They were avoided. They were shunned, considered to be outsiders to the faith. What could God bring to your mind right now that would cause you to say, nope, nope? What was the Holy Spirit's message to Peter? Go downstairs. There's going to be three guys who are looking for you. I want you to go with them without hesitation. The little translation of that is, get up and go without making distinctions. That was God's message. Don't pause. Don't collect $200. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't stop. Don't filter your actions based on what you think. Listen to what I say. Get up and go and do not make any distinctions about the men who have come to bring you someplace. And what we see is what was an image of food before now becomes a metaphor about people. Becomes a metaphor about people. And, Pe and Peter, bless his heart, he gets it. He really understands this. So you fast forward to the passage. He says, listen, Cornelius and all these other Gentiles that have gathered in this home, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or step foot in their house. And Peter is violating so much of what has been ingrained in him since the day he was born. Every action that he is taking in that moment is screaming, nope, nope, no. I should not be walking across this threshold. I should not be having a conversation with these people. Everything in him is screaming that. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. That's called the good theology of the image of God. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. So let me ask, why'd you send for me? Cornelius, the Gentile, goes on to explain why he sent. We can see by Peter's actions, entering a Gentile's home, and by his words that Peter somehow Something was clicking. He was getting it. Peter, and this is so important, Peter not just preached a message, Peter was a message. He didn't just preach the message, the change that the Holy Spirit had worked in him was actually part of his message. God is so smart. The barrier between Jew and Gentile did not exist at that point. There was neither slave nor, nor Gentile. There's no Jew, there, sorry, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free man, woman. Those dividing walls came down. We talked about that in the first, the first sermon in this series. We talked about that in our race sermon. The dividing wall has been torn down. The veil has been torn. Everything has been broken in a good way, in a good way. So that, that wall did not exist at that point. God doesn't judge by externals. Everybody who believes in Jesus Christ, regardless of race, status, orientation, is created in the image of God and has holy value ascribed to them. 
And I think for the first time, maybe Peter's really begin to understand just how far the love and grace of God will go to redeem people. Did he not go to great lengths to redeem you? Access to Jesus is for all. Jesus Christ died once for all. As I look at our church, I, I think I can honestly say that there probably is not a single person who's hearing these words of my mouth right now. For God so loved the world that you don't believe that that means every single person. God so loves the world. He did it because of his love. But do we love what God loves? This is hard. Do we love what God loves? When it comes to people, all people, you and I, even this week, have been given on the news pretty strong reason not to love all. All? All people. When it comes to people, does God have our heart? Can you love as God loves? Those walls do not come down easily. Uh, when the Berlin Wall came down, there was a lot of, it was a party, I remember. There was a lot of rejoicing. But even today, the Germans have a saying. It's this, Mauer, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, Mauer im Kumpf. If my oldest son was here, he would correct me. Mauer im Kumpf, which translates to the wall in the head. The wall in the head. I want you to listen to this quote years after. This is years after the fall from somebody who was there when the wall came down. Now that the wall is down, there really is another wall within the people starting to go up. There is a very big difference between, big difference between East Berliners and West Berliners. You can feel it and you can sense it when you talk to them, oh, he's from the East Berlin. And I think it's really a little bit like in the South and the North in America. There are still repercussions from the Civil War, and I have a feeling that this will remain for many, many years to come. Physical walls are one thing. You can tear a physical wall down. But walls of the heart, in many ways, come down much harder. For one, they're kind of hidden, right? You can kind of hide your prejudice. You can kind of hide bigotry. You can hide those inner thoughts. But the litmus test is how you love. The truth will always become known when the rubber hits the road and what is in your heart comes out. It will be revealed. It will be revealed. So my experience, just personally, is it takes literally a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit, of God, to change a person's heart. Uh, listen, listen to these words that the Holy Spirit gave Peter. Just, I mean, like, like you're hearing them for the very first time, for yourself. Only an encounter, listen, with God in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit can penetrate the toughest walls of a heart like this. Peter started speaking. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what's right. Then we see what happens a few verses later. I didn't read this portion, but this is kind of the end. I, I love this. I absolutely love this. Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? 
Like, there was an incredible move of God. The Holy Spirit showed up on the scene. They confessed. They gave their lives to Jesus Christ. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then the best part, I know, this is the best part. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I love that. What do you think they ate? What do you think they ate those few days? Peter, let's introduce you to bacon. <laughs> How about some carnitas? How about some, some, uh, some pork and chili verde? And here we go, man. Here We are going to introduce you to everything you've been missing all along. You're going to wish that wall came down a long time ago. What'd they eat for those three days? Man, you know what? It probably didn't even matter. It didn't even matter. The Holy Spirit has the power to create literal relational miracles. Uh, I, I ask these questions of myself as I say these. I want to make sure you understand that. Do, do you put qualifiers on people before you're willing to engage them? Uh, the scene from our passage today is sometimes called the second Pentecost uh, because it was in that moment, in that time with the Spirit of God, uh, through the obedience of a Jew, that Gentiles were brought into the kingdom. Uh, I wonder what would happen if the Holy Spirit were allowed to break down the barriers fully, fully uh, in our hearts. Who would we have the privilege of seeing as our brothers and sisters in Christ. I really only have one answer, one solution for how this happens. Uh, perfect love is the goal. Loving people the way Jesus loves people is the goal. And the only way I know that that works is surrender. That's the only way. When we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, if you want to love like Jesus, see people and treat people the way Jesus does, it takes full surrender of your everything to the work of the Holy Spirit. I do not know any other way. Because listen, there are people in my life, just like I am absolutely positive, there are people in your life, people who have been a part of your life who are no longer a part of your life, who test the bounds of your love. <laughs> there are people I have known in my life who test the bounds that I might love them even so. This is a hard love. This is a hard love. I need, if I'm going to do that, I need a love that doesn't come from me. That sources the Holy Spirit. Because in the end, perfect love is Jesus. God wrapped in human flesh. Perfect love goes to any length to save, any height to reach. Perfect love calls the prisoner his brother or sister, redeems the sinner, sets them free. Perfect love is complete. It's all-consuming. It's sacrificial. It's unrestricted. It's given with no trace of restraint. And that is one of the reasons I'm so excited uh, to march towards Easter with you. Because as we see, as we get closer and closer to Easter, the heights, the depths, the reach of the love of God and the extent that he would go to restore us into the image of his son, Jesus. Uh, he loves us. 
Irish Doring can't love the way Jesus commands me to love. But Jesus can love. And he has. And if he's in me, and if the work of the Holy Spirit is in my life, and I continue to surrender slowly but surely, my heart starts to change. My will becomes subservient to his. He went to hell and back for me. And he loves me completely sacrificially without restriction or restraint. He loves me like that, and he loves you like that as well. I hope you know that. God loves you. So as you think in your minds right now about how limited your love might be, can I challenge you uh, to follow me in a prayer right now? Just right where you're seated. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, but honestly, I'm just going to pray a prayer of surrender to the Holy Spirit. That is, that's the one point on your outline, I guess, today. Surrender to the underlined Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's pretty basic. But to me, that's, that's what's required. It's what it takes if you truly want to be obedient the way Christ lays it out in Scripture. So can I pray? If, if God impresses on your heart, you sense the Holy Spirit saying, you just need to go ahead and surrender those things to me. And then when you wake up tomorrow, you might need to do it again. And then the day after that, you're going to have to do it again. But maybe this is a starting point where you can just come to that place and pray along with me. Father, I just come to you today. And I acknowledge that I have a hard time loving like Jesus. In fact, sometimes I have a hard time living for Jesus in all the ways that might honor you. But I also believe that your Holy Spirit lives in me. Help me to surrender every area of my life to the work of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse my heart and fill me with your perfect love. And fathers, as best as I know how, I surrender to the work of your Holy Spirit, loving others through me in a way that draws all to you. And thank you for loving me and inviting me into this journey with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.